This is The Guardian. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly. How PSG is it to lose out in the Champions League on away goals when away goals don't even matter anymore? Okay, they're through, but somehow contrived to come second in their group, mainly down to Benfica's goal bonanza in the last 20 minutes at Maccabi Haifa. It all means a more difficult draw from Mbappe and co for the knockouts and some teams who finished top sweating on drawing them next week. We now know all 16 sides through, so we'll take a look at the possible draws and look back at last night. A small child scores for Manchester City. It's lucky they've got a great academy as well to give them a fighting chance. Chelsea win, but Ben Chilwell could be out of the World Cup, the latest in a growing list. Who knew that congesting a ridiculous schedule even more would risk the fitness of the players? It's almost as if FIFA don't care about them either. We'll look ahead to the Premier League this weekend. Chelsea, Arsenal, Spurs, Liverpool, the standout games. We'll pay tribute to Ronnie Radford, confirm the acceleration of the TGV and discuss Football Weekly on your CV. All that plus your questions and that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. On the panel today, Nikki Bandini, welcome. Morning. Hello, Barry Glendening. Hello, Max Rushton. And from the Racing Post, hello, Mark Langdon. Hi, Max. Uh, so look, we know the teams who are through. Uh, the teams that came first, Napoli, Porto, Bayern, Spurs, Chelsea, Real Madrid, Man City, Benfica, who came second, Liverpool, Bruges, Inter, Frankfurt, AC Milan, RB Leipzig, Dortmund and PSG. And PSG is where we will begin um, because that was the most entertaining part of the evening. I mean, going into these games, PSG must have thought a win would be enough. They got it 2-1 over Juve. But over in Israel, Benfica scored four times in the last 21 minutes. They're fifth in the 88th minute. The vital sixth goal in injury time. Jao Mario looked like he looked to the bench to see if it put them top. Identical records. And Benfica topped the group by virtue of the number of goals they scored away from home. Alan says, can Barry go easy on PSG? <laughs> <laughs> well, people are making great stories. I don't think it's that big a deal whether they finish first thing. I mean, it might be a big deal for, for other clubs. It might be a very big deal for Tottenham. And I hope that's who they draw. Because <laughs> uh, it'll be hugely entertaining for us neutrals anyway. Uh, Spurs fans might disagree but um yeah look it was a really unlikely turn of events and i wouldn't go as far as say psg have shot themselves in the foot but yeah they, they will be going Ooh, that's a bit weird how big a deal do you think it is mark well as barry says i mean um, you know monday will, will be the deciding factor there but the fact that they can't get one of what i think most people consider the three easiest teams from pot one because they can't play benfica because they came through with them so that that means they've got, you know, Porto or Spurs would be their, their best opportunities, but it could be, you know, Manchester City or Bayern Munich or Real Madrid. And I think from that point of view, you need to give yourself the best possible chance to get 
um, the easier draw. And had they been in, in pot one, then they would have, you know, mathematically at least had a had, had, had a much better chance of getting an easier draw. They do just find new ways of making it difficult for themselves in the Champions League. There's no doubt about that. But they have only got themselves to blame because they had Benfica at home. Ordinarily, they should be winning that game. It was around about the same time as all of the Mbappe stuff was was kind of just going on with him threatening to leave because he didn't like being the um, sort of centre forward in the team and wanted to play in in a more wider position. So that probably didn't help. Yeah, and even against Juventus, I think Juve were there, you know, to have been beaten by more than the one goal. They were playing a lot of younger players um, and you know they had a lot of injuries. But PSG kind of just felt like it didn't matter and coasted towards that 2-1 victory and I think that they do tend to do that in the Champions League they coast quite a lot and they only seem to play when it matters or when they think it matters like against Real Madrid last season they were so on top they just seemed to lose focus a little bit and um, I, I think that you know had they been more ruthless and sort of played with more energy they would have won by more goals in, in Turin last night Would you go along with that Nicky? Uh, to some extent I mean I it's the bar has been lowered so far for Juventus that I was looking at this and thinking, Juventus were right last night and it's better than they've been in some games recently. Uh, Mark isn't wrong that there's certainly a, a bunch of young players in that team. They started with uh, Fagioli, who's 21 years old in midfield, Gatti, who's, who's 24 at centre-back, Miretti, 19 years old, just behind the attack. So there was this sort of I suppose, opportunity taken by Max Allegri to say, all right, well, the kids have actually done pretty well recently and and, and let's give them a go because this game is, well, it matters if if Maccabi can get a result against Benfica, which didn't happen. But other than that, it's just don't lose by so many more that you can end up behind uh, Maccabi. But um, look, I actually think some of those players played all right. Gatti was very out of his depth and, and made to look quite silly on the first goal. And I suppose when that's one of your three centre-backs, maybe you think you could do more. I don't know. I'm I'm sort of slightly with Baz on this, I think, of course, it could go very badly for them because if PSG end up drawing Real Madrid in the next round, they're going to regret it. But what it's actually done now is meant that the teams who've won their groups have the possibility of running into PSG, which is going to horrify a lot of them. Is Gatti the, the fellow who Mbappe sat down and, and had a, a worm slash mole slash bird's eye <laughs> view of the goal as it went in? Yeah, he was he was chasing shadows, that whole sort of build up to that play he was up in midfield chasing the play then he was back at the back trying to recover for it and, and throwing himself in it was I mean look lots of defenders are going to find themselves struggling against Mbappe and 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 not just him and, and you know that whole PSG team but yes Gatti didn't Gatti is probably of all of the group of young players who's coming through at events recently the one who in general hasn't yet convinced people and certainly this is a night where he like you say maybe found himself out of his depth a bit I think it is interesting really that the the difference in what's considered sort of quite young, because in the Premier League, sort of 24, you're almost past it, um, 23, 24, if you, and, um, you know, with Gatti, um, you know, Nicky's saying there, maybe, um, you know, he, he's one of the, the younger players, but it does goes to show really that I, I think in Italy, they are more appreciative of people that can go on and maybe, you know, you're not done at 28 or 29 and you have got, there's an inexperience there as well, I suppose, with with Gatti. I mean, there's a whole, no one wants to hear about Juventus right now. They're crap and have gone out, but there's a whole interesting thing going on there because of course they're, really like the one team in Italy who's jumped on this opportunity to have a B team, an under-23 team playing in the lower leagues, which of course is what Barcelona and Real Madrid have been doing for a long time. And that's where players like Gatti have been coming up from. And there have been some teenagers like Miretti, who was in the team last night, and the Englishman, Samuel Lilling Jr., who was 
brilliant in the the late part of the game against Benfica in the previous round, but he's now injured. So there have been some teenagers coming through as well who've been catching eye. John says, can anybody watch Juve now without having bloody Rabio is Rabio is Rabio going round <laughs> and round in their head every time he touches the ball, which is a lot, by the way. I know exactly how you feel. As soon as I see Rabio, I can just I just instantly see Filippo Clare's face, which is no bad thing, is it? Um, Mark, how good are Benfica? Like, I, I will forgive a lot of listeners. I'm not, of course, including myself in this, who don't follow the Portuguese league at all. Well, they look very good at the moment um, because even in the two games against Paris, you know, to go unbeaten in, in those is, is some effort. Um, you know, they've made a strong start in, in the Portuguese league. Uh, Roger Smith is a coach that I really like. I thought he was doing outstanding work at Leverkusen and then he went off to China and I kind of lost track of, of what, what was going on there. And he seemed to fall out of favour and, and sort of not be as fashionable as he was once he, when, you know, when he left Leverkusen, then went to PSV. I, I thought he had them playing um, good football. They've used the um, Nunez money very well. Um, and you do expect that of um, sort of the Portuguese clubs to be able to reinvest. I think Enzo Fernandes, uh, in in midfield looks sort of attacking midfielder looks like he'll be kind of moving on pretty swiftly. Um, Antonio Silva at the back, young centre half, did very well in the games against Juventus and scored a, a key goal in, in one of those matches as well. So you know they are a, a team I think that's playing you know at the top of their limit I would say at the moment. And we've got three months now until they have to play again in the Champions League. The team could look completely different. You know, Rafa Silva might not be playing quite as well. Jean Mario might not be pinging them in from 25 yards um, in three months' time. But I am pleased for Schmidt just because, like I say, I think he, he he was a coach that felt like he was on the rise. Then he took that money in China when, when there was that boom in the Chinese Super League. And the fact that he had to go to kind of PSV and then to Benfica, um, you know, big clubs, but not kind of, I suppose, in the elite league, suggests that um, yeah, that, that maybe been forgotten about, but um, this is putting him back on the radar. I would suggest. Uh, just one more on on PSG. Phil says, can you ask Barry his thoughts on PSG's under 19s effort in the Champions League Youth League today? I don't know if you're across this, Barry. I must confess, <laughs> I am not. Uh, uh, PSG underneath is playing Juventus under 19s. Uh, the score on 90 minutes, uh, PSG were 4 1 up, and then they let in goals in the 90th, the 93rd, and the 95th <laughs> minute. As Phil says, is this institutional choking? Uh, <laughs> anyway, let's do Group E. Um, there were only two spots up for grabs uh, in the last 16 yesterday. We knew all the others. Uh, one was at the San Siro, where whoever won went through between AC Milan and RB Salzburg. It ended up pretty comfortably for, for AC Milan in the end. Uh, Nicky, Giroud had a brilliant game, scored twice. That assist is actually, it's like a brilliant header, you know, falling backwards, cushioned header. He's ageless, isn't he? Yeah, it was one of those moments that, like, I can't tell because, yeah, you know, maybe there's a bit of fangirling going on because it's Giroud and I'm, I'm a fan. But, like, yeah, like, it, he, he did things that I just don't think many strikers do in terms of his unselfishness as well as, like, the technical part of it. Because it's hard, I think, to do that header. I think it's hard technically to pull that off and to to aim it as neatly as he does towards Krunic. But I also just don't think many number nines think of doing it, especially ones who do score goals. Giroud is not, like, a one of those non-scoring number nines. He scored twice in this game. But in that moment, and he didn't look for God himself. He thought there's a teammate better place than me. And he played the sort of ball with his head that a lot of players aspire to play with their feet. So it was a really, really nice assist, really great performance from Giroud, which, you know, it got me thinking 
because of course he is 36 and it sort of makes you roll your eyes a bit to think, oh, Milan, should they be relying on 36-year-old Olivier Giroud to be their main man in, in the Champions League? Well, you know, the last time they were on top of Europe when they beat Liverpool in the final, who was up front? It was Pipo Inzaghi. He was no spring chicken. So that alone is not the issue. Now, I'm not suggesting Milan are about to go and win the Champions League because I think that is pretty far-fetched probably in terms of their, their performances overall this season. But I do think people, perhaps because those two games against Chelsea, might miss the progress that is being made. I mean, bear in mind, Milan hadn't played in the Champions League for the best part of a decade before last season. That A lot of the players in that squad hadn't played in the Champions League at all in their career before last season. This is the first time, I think, since 2011, they've won two Champions League games back to back. So like these facts, little sort of facts that might seem insignificant to a team that has been in the Champions League a lot regularly are quite sort of significant for Milan. And, you know, they, they won their last two games again after getting beaten pretty comprehensively by Chelsea and having a lot of doubt thrown out. And they won those last two games both 4-0. So you can't ask for much more than that in terms of a, a rebound point. Sure, they're supposed to be better than Salzburg. They're supposed to be better than Zagreb, but they did it emphatically. And I think that feels in in Milan like something important. And Rafael Leaubach is so much fun. Like he, he feels sort of, this is probably... Not, I don't know if he would see this as a compliment, but it is from me, like Paolo Wanchop-esque, in that he's sort of looks like he's going to lose the ball with every touch, but then somehow manages, like that third goal, he sort of ran past every single player in the Salzburg team. Yeah, I mean, if even those who Paolo Wanchop is, um, I'm, I'm sure it may, maybe wouldn't be considered the, the greatest compliment that he's, um, he, he's ever been labelled with. I think you get players, somebody like, you know, Messi would be the prime example of, you know, close control is really important. Um, because Liao is so quick, I think that that kind of touch can be a, a little bit looser and can actually help him at times because it, it, it just gives him sort of more space to run on to the next bit of, of his dribble. He's definitely um, a player that is on a massive upgrade. And, and that, I think, is um, testament to Milan scouting, Pioli's coaching, because... There weren't many people saying that Liao was going to be this good, I think it's fair to say, when when he joined. He was a player of some potential, but if they do now um, sort of have to sell him next summer or um, you know, want to sell him you know, because the, the money just becomes too good, it's going to be for you know astronomically high um, fee. And you know, he is, I think, a real modern forward in you know, that counter-attack. He, he's just one of the most lethal players, I, w- I would say. And he... Um, you know, he just absolutely I mean, ruins defenders when he gets going. There was the poor Salzburg um, defender that was chasing after him and, and and managed to do himself an injury at the end of the, the first half was, uh, you know, obviously quite sad, but also you know j- just makes you, you smile as well because he is just one of the players that just gets you up and sort of excited. He, he's one of the most exciting players in Europe. So yeah, I, I really like him. I mean, I liked Paolo Wanchop, but um, I think that maybe is doing um, Rafael Liao a disservice. <laughs> I take it back. Chelsea 2, Dinamo Zagreb 1. Um, also in this group, it was decided this group already, they're, they're two positions anyway. The biggest story, Barry, is the hamstring injury to Ben Chilwell. Late on, could be a real worry for his World Cup prospects. Tom says, how the hell have England run out of fullbacks? And the injuries before the World Cup are building up, aren't they? I mean, it's it's players can get injured at any time, obviously, but it, it just feels there are a lot more. I don't know. Does it feel like there are more? I mean, there are always key players missing from teams through injury at World Cups. Obviously, it would be better for everyone involved if they had a two to three week 
period between the end of the season and the tournament starting, but that's just the way it is. And this was always going to happen. It's very unfortunate for Ben Chilwell. It's just pure bad luck, you know, to pull his hamstring. I wouldn't say it's a major concern for his World Cup. I'd say there's absolutely no chance he's going to the World Cup because the very minimum amount of time it takes to recover from that is three weeks. Uh, and that's, you know, an, an optimistic prognosis, and it looked quite a bad one. So uh, I'd say he won't be going to the World Cup. He must be devastated, and um, it looked like he knew himself that that was it. He might get lucky, but I, I'd say it's very unlikely. And I was just wondering, like, who does that open up a spot in the squad for someone like Tyreek Mitchell or Matt Target maybe sneak in? But yeah, I'd, probably Rico not. Henry from Brentford. Possibly, mm. but I mean, Barry, you say you say it's you know it's just bad luck, and maybe it is bad luck. But surely there is something with how congested this the fixture list now is, and also the fact that it's not the end of the season where you know some teams have less to play for or can prioritize games. You know, all these games really matter. So, so for that reason, well, that game didn't matter. I mean, that game <laughs> that's is the very antithesis of a game that mattered. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, John says, can you do a full injured 11 for the abomination of the World Cup in, in Qatar? Uh, Mark, uh, you've been to work this morning sort of putting this together. Yeah, I mean, we have done here that maybe that some of those are injury um, doubts, Max, because, I've, you know, I think we, um, you know, that there are some players that could um, still come back. So Jan Sommer in goal. Um, picked up an ankle injury that's certainly concerning the Swiss um, at the moment. I mean, one of the, the star um, goalkeepers at the Euros and also you know, was a big part of knocking um, Italy or certainly at least down in, into the, the playoffs. Um, back four, Rhys James. Uh, we've got Rafa Varane, uh, Pepe and Ben Chilwell with um, a shout out for Arejo the Barcelona and Uruguay young defender that's almost certain to miss out. In midfield, obviously, you've got the N'Golo Kante, Paul Pogba axis, and Argentina are really concerned about uh, Giovanni Lo Celso, who's probably more important at international level than he is club level. There are maybe some other Argentinians that um, are missing at the moment that, that will be back. Paredes, Di Maria, Romero seem to have very minor injuries that, that are not going to rule them out of the World Cup, but maybe just enough so they don't have to play for their clubs um, in the next couple of weeks. And then on the bench, um, Harustic, the um, Australian who won the Europa League with Eintracht Frankfurt, is, is doubtful at the moment after picking up an injury for Verona. We've got Joe Allen uh, as well. It'd be a real shame for him if he missed out on the World Cup. Up front, I think, is where the, um, the, the real kind of big hitters are Jota um, and Hummin Son um, after his injury is now rated in a major doubt um, following that, that eye injury. Um, Dybala, who injured himself, um, was it taking a penalty on Nicky? He certainly injured himself sort of striking um, a shot. So he's rated doubtful for the World Cup. And then on the bench for the forwards, Timo Werner went off injured last night for Leipzig. Jesus Corona's been out for a while for Mexico, as has Raul Jimenez and Sardar Azmoun um, might not make it for Iran. Romelu Lukaku has been missing and sort of suffered a setback this week, but the Belgian doctor seemed more confident than maybe some of the Italian newspapers about his chances of, of playing in the World Cup. But there, there, there are always a lot of um, players that miss the World Cup, but it's these minor injuries, these kind of two, three-week injuries that you pick up all the time, um, and there will be more between now and the, the, the break 
that, that are ruining people's World Cups. That that feels really harsh. If you break your leg, you know, you, you're going to be out. But you, just these little muscle injuries, um, it, it does feel harsh. And, you know, the World Cup only comes around once every four years. And, uh, you know, particularly for nations that maybe don't get there all the time, um, you know, this is a, a big deal and it, it always will be the World Cup. Some of us are hoping for one World Cup every nine years at the moment. <laughs> but, but um actually like the opposite side of that heartbreak for me, honestly, last night, um Federico Chiesa came back for Juventus and Chiesa's been out since January with a, a cruciate ligament injury. And of course it's lovely to see him back and I'm certain Juventus fans are very happy to see him back given how flat their performance have been this season. But there was a little part of my heart that died thinking that's Federico Chiesa and I wish he was coming back just in time to to rescue Italy's World Cup. Nikki, do you agree? I mean, I, I sort of get the sense from Barry that you're like, well, listen, it happens. People get injured. It's sort of no different to to a, a normal World Cup. I just, and I don't know if I'm paraphrasing you wrongly, Barry. There, but I just, no, that's fair enough. I don't know. It it feels worse to me now, or maybe I just because I am sort of against this World Cup happening where it is and when it is. I'm predisposed to sort of wanting to find more problems with it. Perhaps I don't know. I think I share all of those same prejudices, unfortunately. Prejudice might be the right word, but certainly those same preconceptions about it. I think it certainly has created jeopardy in these few weeks. It's really interesting. I mean, you know, I was thinking about even Lukaku when Mark was saying that. Now I need to be absolutely explicit that I have no reason to believe that Lukaku is going to deliberately slow his recovery or anything like that. But he has been out with a hamstring injury. And mightn't it be in a player's interest to think to themselves, actually, I just need to sort of make it seem like I'm hurt for a little bit longer to make sure I am fresh for the World Cup. And all these sort of interesting dynamics that are going to be going on for players. Like, does a player want to play 90 minutes every game at the moment? Or would they rather play off the bench? Would they rather just get a quick sort of little bit here and there? I saw a, a US soccer uh, tweeter last night saying, yep, I don't need to see any more of Christian Pulisic. Please just keep him wrapped up now and don't let him on the pitch again. Because that's how people are feeling. Like, because... Because the time frame is is just so much tighter for for recovering, if as as has been said already, for a minor injury, I think it it inevitably makes this moment right now feel really really anxious. I think for lots of people. Um, and Mark, a few people on yellow cards who might get a fifth one this weekend just to do themselves a favour. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's there's always this thing, isn't there? Just before Christmas, that um, the suggestion that maybe uh, at least in the old, older days that people might pick up a red card and get Boxing Day and, and the New Year off. I just went through that. There are a few players that if they get booked this weekend, won't play in the final round of Premier League matches. And again, like Nicky, I'm not suggesting that they will get booked, but I, I think it is an interesting dynamic that. The likes of Gabriel Jesus, um, Saliba, Mitrovic, Bentancur, Harry Kane, if they were to pick up a booking this weekend, and I'm not suggesting they will, they would get an extra week um, rest before the World Cup and not have to play in that final game and potentially do that minor kind of hamstring pull that ruins the World Cup. Do you know, Italy has a midweek round next week and it almost feels spiteful now that I think about it. Like, well, we're not going to the World Cup, so everyone can play an extra game before you go. Um, quickly on this on this Chelsea win, the, the the sort of positive moment was the debut goal for Dennis Zakaria. Um, and, and producer Joel and myself just presumed he was a Chelsea youth player, but he's, a, he's on loan from Juventus. How and why did this transfer happen? Who is this man, please? <laughs> Uh, Zachariah is um, so he was a grab back before Juventus he's come he played for Juventus he actually played quite well at Juventus I thought and I don't think out of the midfield mess that they've got I don't think he's a player they should have been in such a 
a hurry to get rid of, but let's be clear about what happened this summer. Juventus thought they were selling Adrian Rabio is Rabio is Rabio, and then they didn't sell him, and so they had to get someone else out. And and so Zakaria was the one. But I think a lot of Juventus fans would have preferred to see that dynamic the other way around. Hmm. And then he T- Tuchel brought him in, and then got sacked. That was sort of like, <laughs> just just before, yeah. Um, which is exactly what you want, isn't it? Anyway, that'll do for part one. Uh, part two, we'll round out the rest of the Champions League. I'm Shantae Joseph. I'm a writer and broadcaster and I spend way too much time online. But now those years of scrolling are finally paying off because I'm hosting The Guardian's new pop culture podcast. In each episode, I'm going to get under the skin of the week's biggest stories. If you love pop culture and want to get into how it's shaping and impacting our lives, then you should join me every Thursday. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Out now. Bye. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com ACAST. Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. Uh, Football Weekly is live. Tickets are selling well. Get them while they're hot, it says here. Um, uh, 17th of November, our Christmas special in Hackney. Earth in Hackney, me, Barry, Lars, Ellis, James. Uh, We have lots planned. And you can get your tickets from theguardian.com slash guardian live. And it's streamed around the world. So wherever you are, if you are listening to this, you definitely can watch it and catch up. If you don't watch it live, you can watch it over the next week. So I implore you all, to do that, uh, Man City beat Sevilla 3-1. Joa Kim says, remember the 2004 Euros when Greece killed all joy in football and won it? Of course you do. It was only a couple of years ago, right? Well, Rico Lewis wasn't even born. <laughs> um, he scored on his first start for Manchester City, 17 years old, born on the 21st of November 2004. A cover of I'll Stand By You by Girls Aloud was number one. And he looks like quite a good youth prospect, Barry. He does. Uh, another one off to the Manchester City production line. I think after the game, Pep Guardiola was saying that the reason they qualify through the group stages year after year after year is because of their humility. And I think it is humility and mm, yes. the academy <laughs> that they're the two cornerstones on which Manchester City's success is built. <laughs> I think we can all agree on that. But yeah, it, it fans like to see youth team players breaking into the first team and it's a dream debut for him because he, he scored obviously and, and played pretty well. I don't think he'll be making regular appearances because there's quite the queue in front of him for that position, but he, he got his opportunity. He took it and, and he will get more opportunities, obviously. Um, I think he's in the league cup round next week. He probably might play for them in that. And, um, I thought he was more impressive than Sergio Gomez, who's the other side of the pitch. Uh, he was back after being sent off against FC Copenhagen. And it was quite an experimental lineup from Pep, and, and they won a game that didn't really matter. I mean, it's easy to be cynical about the Manchester City project, but the joy, like the pure joy for Rico Lewis and 
the Man City players around him, Nicky, is lovely, right? Yeah, you know, you can separate out the the Manchester City juggernaut from a young footballer who is getting his opportunity and seizing it as brilliantly as, as he did. I mean, he's a teenager, which, you know, the older I get, the more that seems ridiculous that teenagers are out there doing things that are incredible like that. And yeah, he, he was really, really impressive, you know, taking on his man, confident in the way that he sort of... There was a point with Alex Tellers where he was not just sort of beating him, but tormenting him before the end, before he went off. And I think the the level of sort of confidence to step into that stage and 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 play like that is really impressive. And and from England's point of view, it's got to be exciting as well. Get him on that plane. Uh, we, we need some fullbacks <laughs> suddenly. Uh, Kevin De Bruyne's pass for Alvarez was marvellous. I don't know how much time we need to spend on great assists from Kevin De Bruyne, but like you, you could release a, a DVD of the top 1,000, couldn't you? Uh, also in this group, Dortmund uh, drew one all uh, away at Copenhagen. And actually another lovely moment, Mark. Copenhagen scoring their first goal of these group stages. And it's hard not to be patronising, I guess, but the joy of the fans and the players and everything was great. And I think they sort of... They sort of know where they stand, FC Copenhagen, in all of this. Yeah, they do. I mean, the you know the stadium was full. The fans were bouncing um, behind one of the goals for felt like the whole game. So you know, they were engaged in the match. Uh, um, Copenhagen I mean, last week what was it sixteen ages in the team um, against Sevilla. Um, yeah, they do know where they are in this Champions League sort of group and in the whole field, really. And that they any point is a good one, I think, um, for a team like Copenhagen. It does bring in uh, money. But more than that, yeah, just the joy of scoring goals. They had seven shots on target in the first half as well. I think um, they'll maybe, uh, you know, they got their point as well, didn't they, against Manchester City, which was another big moment for them. They just wanted a goal, I think, because there only been a couple of teams that had gone through an entire group stage without scoring before. And you, you don't want to kind of join that list if you can help it. And it wasn't as if they were really negative in those um, sort of five previous games. I think they they played sort of enterprisingly enough to um, to warrant their goal. I don't know. I, I can't think of any more patronising um, ways to sort of go on about Copenhagen. Uh, but it's, it's difficult. And we, yesterday you were talking about Rangers and kind of, you know, what had gone wrong for them in the Champions League. It's just really hard for, for teams from, you know, much smaller leagues that haven't got that budget to be able to compete, even with, um, you know, a team like Borussia Dortmund, who themselves are having to fight a juggernaut in, in Bayern Munich. So, um, yeah, it's just sort of where the, the food chain is, unfortunately, in the Champions League at the moment. How big is your juggernaut? And to the pod version of patting FC Copenhagen on the head and going, there, there, well done. Uh, Real Madrid 5, Celtic 1. Mr. Leonard said, given his Celtic side were repeatedly pasted for being far too open, does Ange still get it? Um, Barry, what do you reckon? Uh, I th- I think he does need to have a more pragmatic approach. I, look, I don't think anyone expected Celtic to go to the Bernabeu and beat Real Madrid, the reigning champions. We have to factor in the disparity in their budgets and blah, blah, blah. But it was kind of familiar failings. They were a little bit unlucky to to be 2 nil down to two penalties for handball. And then Vinicius Jr. missed a glorious opportunity to put Real 3-0 up and Celtic get a penalty, which they miss. And uh, it was a good save from Juranovic by Courtois. In the, and then, you know, Real Madrid just ran away with it from that point. Celtic did finish on a, a high with Jota curling in a lovely free kick. So it gave the fans something to cheer about. But they've conceded 15 goals in this group stage. 
And I think the most telling stat is that in the five matches that they've played, they've had 30 shots on target and only scored four goals. And they've missed some glorious scoring opportunities. And they can make mistakes in, you know, against the likes of Ross County and say Mirren or whoever and get away with them. You you get punished at this level and if you're naive or if you make mistakes. And they don't have very many players with Champions League experiences. Joe Hart and just, I think there's one other, I can't remember who, and they can't really afford to buy players with Champions League experience, so they're sort of stuck between a rock and a hard place. They'll probably be there next season, and and maybe they'll do better. It almost felt like every goal got better for Real Madrid. Like every time they scored, it was a better goal. If they carried on going, they'd have scored the best goal of all time. Um, Mark, are they better than last year? Well, Angelotti says that this is, I think he said it's the best squad and one of the best squads he's ever worked with. So I think that certainly from that point of view, he would believe so. Um, you look at some of the younger players and I still think you've got to put Vinicius um, Rodrigo, um, even though they're established, they are still, I think, sort of getting better. Um, Vinicius did miss those chances, but I, you know, over the last 12 months, he's become such a bigger threat, I think, and kind of it's not just the showboating that there's, there's a lot more to his game. Fede Valverde, um, probably outside of Kevin De Bruyne, might say he's been the best midfielder in Europe this season. There's been lots of goals and assists from him. Modric, um, particularly doesn't get any worse, even though, you know, he's, he's ticking on to him and he's come in. I, I know everybody is really excited about him. I still think Casemiro did that role, um, fantastically well, but I'm sure with him and Camavinga, yeah, again, that there's scope to improve. Rudiger just gives them another established international at the back. So yeah, I think the, I think you could say, um, the squad is better. I think they'll need to be better. I know they won it last year. And it was a really hard path, the way that they did it. But there were also moments of good fortune that you don't always get in the Champions League. Maybe moments, um, you know, like, goes, like games. <laughs> 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 hours of good fortune. Um, but it, you know, that's that, that's not certain. But this was a game they that you could tell they wanted to win because they picked a, a strong team. I think you want to make absolutely sure you finish on top. And and we spoke about it earlier. But one other point to it is you get that home leg second, and the Bernabeu was you know, a fortress in those second legs um, last time around and you get the extra 30 minutes if it goes to extra time at home with no away goal rule. And I think that people now believe that since the away goal rule changed, playing at home second and that potential for an extra 30 minutes, you know, to, to, to score maybe that winning goal in extra time is actually, um, you know, more important than, than people initially thought. Um, Shakhtar needed to win to make the knockouts. Uh, they didn't, they got... Pretty roundly beaten by RB Leipzig. They drop into the Europa League, but like, that's still an incredible achievement given what is happening in Donetsk and the fact that they play their European games in Poland and then they go back to play their uh, home games in Ukraine. Um, but Leipzig finished second in that group and uh, I think you might want to avoid them. Chris says, what are the odds on Spurs' heroics to top the group resulting in a match against surprising second-place PSG in the next round? Um, I know we touched on this at the start, but it's just worth saying, look, from an English perspective, Liverpool can get Porto, Bayern, Benfica or Real Madrid. So that was a great moment. PSG going second was brilliant for Liverpool, right? Because otherwise they were they had a sort of 75% chance of getting one of the big guns. Um, Spurs, Chelsea and City's opponents are pretty similar, but they can get Bruges, Spurs can get Bruges into AC Milan, Leipzig, Dortmund or PSG. Chelsea, Bruges into Frankfurt, Leipzig, Dortmund or PSG. 
City, Bruges, Inter, Frankfurt, Milan, Leipzig, PSG. Bayern, Mark, cannot play a German side. So they really could, unless they get Bruges, they've got a tough game. Yeah, so there, there are only four places for Bayern to go in that draw. So um, <laughs> at UEFA, they, they of course messed up the, the draw the, this time last year in, in for the last 16 and had to redo it. So there might be some complications there again. So Bayern Munich can only get four teams and Two of those are Liverpool or Paris Saint-Germain, which feels really harsh for Bayern. So they may be not celebrating the success of the Bundesliga like most other people in Germany would. Um, you know, the other two teams, one is, is Milan and the other one is, is Club Bruce. So I think in Milan, you've got kind of probably about a mid-tier of those sort of um, second pot ones. You've got two absolute giants in, in Liverpool who could be back to their best in three months' time. We don't know. Paris Saint-Germain have obviously got a lot of quality. The difference between drawing Bruges or PSG um, is ridiculous um, for a team like Bayern or for, or for anyone else that, that can get them. Having said that, I and I'm not suggesting for a second Bruges are as good as PSG, but what I've seen of them, they've been pretty <laughs> impressive. Yeah, they have. Yeah, they're very enterprising football. Um, so anyway, we can we can sort of speculate as to what might happen, but we might as well wait for the draw because it's only on Monday, and then we might as well wait until February when we've had a World Cup and lots of other football to see what kind of state these teams are in, and that'll do uh, for part two. Part three, we'll look ahead to the Premier League weekend. Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. Uh, before we do the, the Premier League this weekend, last night in the Championship, um, a great, it was almost like that Charlton Ipswich game, but not quite for Burnley against Rotherham, Baz. Yeah, so I think the story of the champion, midweek Championship round of fixtures is Burnley pulling five points clear at the top of the table. It's quite a large gap in an otherwise pretty congested table. Uh, so they're five points clear of Blackburn and they're unbeaten in 16 games. I think uh, they've only lost one game under Vincent Company since he took over. And uh, they <laughs> won it the hard way last night. They were playing Rotherham. Uh, they went 1-0 down, got it back to 1-1. Your old friend Jay Rodriguez with a, a header from two inches uh, out. Um, Chidozi Ogbene put Rotherham 2-1 up. And then uh, Rotherham lost uh, Cone Bramall to two yellow cards in the space of a few minutes. Manuel Benson equalised for Burnley late doors in added time with a, a curl long range effort. And then I think it was the ninth minute of added time. Halil Dervisoglu uh, scored on the follow up after um, Josh Brownhill had his shot saved. So Burnley win 3 2, five points clear at the top of the championship. Norwich QPR drew nil-nil and remain in the, the playoff places with Sheffield United and Watford. And uh, in the the result of the evening, uh, Sunderland went to Huddersfield and beat them 2-0. So Sunderland are 12th and uh, Huddersfield remain anchored to the bottom of the table with Wigan and West Brom in the relegation places alongside them. I know this is, um, you know, about 12 hours after the event when we're recording, but this is breaking news to me. I thought that Burnley drew. Um, <laughs> I, sort of che- <laughs> I checked the scores. I checked the scores, sort of what I thought were full times everywhere. And then I even watched the um, highlights on ITV when I got home um, last night and Vincent Company was was chatting and I thought it would have been a draw. He was pretty um, level-headed. I hadn't seen the start 
of the interview, and he was mainly talking about the season as a whole. Um, so thanks for that, Barry. I, I thought that game had finished 2-2. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, the Premier League. We've got a real super Sunday, haven't we? Chelsea, Arsenal at midday. Uh, Spurs, Liverpool at 4.30. Uh, put your Arsenal hat on, Nicky. I mean, that, that, was a, that was an important win against Forest, wasn't it? I know you've got, we've got Zurich tonight in the Europa League and still need a result to be sure of getting top of that group. And that doesn't matter because it's one less game and you don't have to play the teams that drop down from the Champions League. I just wonder sort of where your expectations are with Arsenal as as I view you as kind of a sensible level-headed Arsenal fan. <laughs> um, they're certainly quite high, higher than they've been in, in many seasons. They're not, I mean, I, I don't speak for Arsenal fans, do I? I speak for myself. I, I still don't believe this team can win the league because Manchester City exists, basically. Um, but I think like lots of Arsenal fans, just enjoying the ride and, and seeing how long they can stay top of the league. And games against Chelsea just, it feels like the last couple of years have sort of swung wildly in one direction than the other in terms of who's on top and and, and how that dynamic is. And um, yeah, it is complicated having a Thursday night game, which does matter. I think it's really a good thing what the Europa League has done, making first place feel significantly more important than second place. It's added a lot of weight to those games and made them feel more important, but it's bad news for Arsenal right now. It'll be interesting to see, for instance, if Saka might play, because the word is that Saka's close to return. Will he play on Thursday or do you keep him for the Chelsea game thinking you can get through this game on Thursday without him? It feels like, I keep coming back to, for all the things that Max Allegri, the Juventus manager, has got wrong this season, I really agree with him. There's going to be two seasons this season. I think there's a season in every league going into the World Cup and there's a second season that's going to happen after the World Cup. And whether or not Arsenal can be top of the league at the end of the second season still feels like a completely alien idea. But Arsenal can be top of the league in this first season. We're close enough to the end now that you can win this first season. And so, of course, every game now is is hugely uh, meaningful and Chelsea always would be anyway. But yes, I feel anxious about this one for certain. I was considering doing the tweet that has already been done by someone else now that, you know, Spurs Liverpool, it kicks off at 4.30 for Liverpool and at about 5.35 for Tottenham. <laughs> um, but Mark, we got yelled at by maybe two Tottenham fans who listen to the pod for finding yesterday quite funny and sort of classic Tottenham. And I just, I mean, this will be a really interesting game given the form that Liverpool in, given there's no Hume Min Son. So both these teams feel slightly on their knees. But obviously Tottenham having a much, certainly looking at the table, having a much better season than Liverpool. Yeah, I mean, they will both see this as an ideal chance to play against the other team um, in, in a weird kind of way and I mean there are sort of Spurs fans sort of even shouting at each other really because there are some looking at the table and just going you know what are you moaning about um, this this is great you know we're sixth biggest wage bill um, in the Premier League we're third Champions League last 16 won the group from where they were a year ago um, uh, you know from Nuno to Conte this is a completely different team than there are others that watching those first halves particularly and are unhappy. I think if if Tottenham play like that, even against this Liverpool though, that like they produced that performance in the first half against Marseille, they won't be able to pull that one um, back. I um because Liverpool for for all of the problems they've got in defence and particularly in midfield, you still fancy them to score goals and even when they lost to Leeds, Melier had to produce a, a number of, of top saves to, to keep them out. And 
I just don't think long term it's the way to play to just concede that amount of possession and allow opponents sort of that many shots at your goal, even if they are sort of edge of the area rather than six yard box. So I'd, I'd sort of, I'm in the middle of, of those sort of Tottenham fans um, sort of round with each other. I appreciate the league position. We'd just like to see them play a little bit more aggressive in those first half. And I actually think that Conte wants them to play a different way. As Lars was saying, uh, he he referenced the fact that they're not doing what he wants them to. Uh, Guy says, I was at Hereford, Newcastle as a nine-year-old when Ronnie Radford scored that goal. Has anyone had a better introduction to live football? Imagine that being your first game. I'm not sure exactly if it was Guy's first game, but yeah, what amazing game to be at. Sad news that Ronnie Radford, uh, who scored that goal for Hereford against Newcastle in the FA Cup in 1972, has passed away aged 79. Quite interesting reading the the Guardian obituary. You know, talking about that goal, Ronnie Radford said, like, goals like mine are scored every week up and down the country, but we were playing out the classic FA Cup story and that was just part of the script. He told the paper in 2008, it means a lot to be remembered for that goal against Newcastle. I went to get a hearing aid last week because I'm going slightly deaf. And the guy who fitted it was a Sheffield Wednesday fan. He asked me my name. And when I said it was Ronald Radford, he told me that was also the name of a famous footballer. I told him (laughs) I was that footballer. And he went red in the face and couldn't stop smiling. I found that bewildering. I never wanted to be famous. I still don't feel famous now. And obviously it, it kind of made the career of John Motts. And he clearly could have had that career anyway, but... Marty said, I was on trial at Match of the Day for a year. I got given this game, which I know was a replay, and they'd drawn up at Newcastle. But most people thought Hereford were going to lose by one or two goals. And when Malcolm McDonald scored, it looked that way. And then Ronnie changed everything. He changed his life, my life, the history of the FA Cup with a goal that came out of nowhere in my lifetime. I've never seen a shot fly through the air and go into the net quite like it. Um, It was a brilliant, brilliant goal. Uh, Dave says, uh, football-related theme park ride idea off the back of Real Madrid land. Uh, managerial <laughs> gravy train, like a ghost train, except you're subjected to cliches, quotes and videos of gravy train managers such as Steve Bruce, Sam Allardyce, Alan Pardew and Harry Redknapp, down to the bare bones, etc. And Neil Warnock staring at you, you know, that video he did. That's the <laughs> final piece, which was very good. Um, Rich says, no questions, just an update on the acceleration of a TGV train, please, Max. Um, I checked it. They can go from naught to 320 kilometers an hour, which is 199 miles an hour, within five minutes and 20 seconds. It takes them 18 kilometers to get to full speed. I can't remember which player we were discussing that they went, like they go like a train. But it still seems quite slow acceleration, even if the top speed is quite high. And then Adam got in touch to say, question, not for us, but for academic Twitter. He's in, in academia. I should, didn't check what his official, um, what, what he does. But he says, on my CV, how do I add the fact that my questions have been read by Max Rushton on Football Weekly Podcast <laughs> two weeks in a row, uh, asking for me? He says, to which uh, Lorcan, three weeks in a row now, uh, um, uh, Lorcan replied, I list it under key achievements all the times I've been on the pod, the minute by minute, or BBC Sports. Do you think, Barry, that's a fair place to put, you know, achievements to be uh, uh, mentioned on the pod? Well, I mean, if I was putting my curriculum visa together and had to list achievements, it would be slim picking, so... I would put the pod in. If I were you, Barry, on your CV, I would certainly put it on. So, yeah, I, um, I... Yeah, it seems as good a place as any. I mean, it's so long since I've done a CV, I can't remember what you really put on it. Do you just you just say you like going to the cinema and horse riding and stuff like that, don't you? Well, I mean, you put your A-levels at the top 
No, you put your work experience at the top, then your A-levels, and then maybe your GCSEs, depending on how old you are. And then at the bottom, you just write some bollocks, like, I like hill and fell walking. I think I put that on my university application, that I liked hill walking and fell walking. And when I went to my interview, someone asked me what fell walking was, and I didn't know. (laughs) I was was about to ask you what it is. (laughs) I don't know what it is. I still don't know what it is, and maybe I've never done it. So anyway, don't lie on your CVs, kids. What's your favorite fell? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what a fell is. Someone will tell us. Oh, and we did. I must I must get this because I did ask on the pod when Lars was discussing having his life saved by a postman. If any postman were listening to the podcast. I was talking to my postie yesterday and she had earbuds in and I never even crossed my mind to ask her if she was listening to Football Weekly. And that was about. I would say 10 minutes after we'd finished recording. <laughs> uh, Joseph Joseph McGloin says, a postman in Vancouver, Canada is listening. So uh, I hope you have a good round today while listening to us. And that'll do for today's Football Weekly. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Max. Cheers, Nikki. Thanks, Max. Thank you, Barry. Cheers. Uh, Football Weekly was produced by Lucy Oliver with Joel Grove. Our executive producer is Max Sanderson. We'll be back on Monday. This is The Guardian. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, You won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware.